I'm going off the grid. Disappearance. Where is Hank? We have to find him. Preparation. Doc, we got a huge problem with the new product. We're launching tomorrow, gentlemen. Get to work. Execution. I'm in. Minions! Battle stations! Betrayal. Gentlemen, what can Arch do for you? Conspiracy. This is a threat against our very foundation. We must protect our collective from this clear combination. Negotiation. I shall take it from here. Skedaddling. You're gonna have to run away. What? Captain, something big just went kablooey five blocks south. Pull your team and check it out. Blow uppery. <laughs> Tight pantsedness. Stairs. Doc, are you okay? What the hell is going on over there? This is a setup. You can't possibly think I did this. Ah, oh my god! <laughs> You've been waiting all day for this, haven't you? The Venture Brothers. Radiant is the blood of the baboon heart. Oh, son of that could have been a baby's head. Now do you get it? Look for it on digital and Blu-ray. Welcome back to Owls Only, the Adult Swim podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Hope, happy-go-hanky kid. And I have a very special co-host with me today. It's someone who loves the Venture Brothers as much as I do, so I had to have him on this podcast. It's my friend, Rissy. Hello, everybody. So how many times have you seen this movie, the Venture Brothers movie? I have only seen it twice because okay. I've been incredibly busy since this movie came out. I was literally thousands of miles away from home when this movie came out so yeah i don't think i could do that like i um i did the thing i spent 40 extra dollars to get this movie a day like a two or three days early essentially and like i don't think i could be like i would just lose my fucking mind but um so we are talking about the venture brothers movie radiant is the blood of the baboon heart it was announced in 2021 after um because the show got canceled in 2020 in the middle of writing season eight. And so, like, they're basically Adult Swim and HBO Max were kind of just like, hang in there. We're going to do something like even the night that it, even the night that it got canceled, Adult Swim was on Twitter and was like, we want more Venture Brothers like just hang in there. And then the guy from HBO Max sent like he I think it was like a tweet or something where he's like, I've been getting tons of like emails and stuff from like Venture Brothers fans and we're trying to get something worked out. So They've been also something I learned from the Doc and Jackson commentary is they were actually offered the movie when season eight was canceled, which is super interesting because um, I'm not going to say who, but I some sources close to Aqua Teen told me in like um, July, August of 2020 that they were working on a new Aqua Teen movie for HBO Max. So I think that like throughout all of 2020, like leading up to the announcement of these movies in 2021, they were like, they knew these were coming, you know, like it doesn't feel like it was something they just did like a month before the announcement like they've been they had these movies like in the pipeline for at least like a year before they really like 
fully greenlit them and announced them and stuff. I don't know about Metalocalypse. Like, Brandon doesn't say anything about that. But I know that at least Aqua Teen Adventure have been worked on since, or at least been, like, the day have been thrown around since, like, 2020. But, um, so, do you, what did you think of the movie? Like, what did you think as, like, a finale, just as, like, a movie in general? Like, what did you think about it? So, I'm... I, I know a lot of people share this opinion that it kind of felt like a Sparks Note version of like what season eight could have been. And yeah. it felt kind of crammed and rushed. And like that was my initial thought when I first watched it is I feel like we got like bits and pieces of what we could have possibly gotten. Yeah. But then on a second watch, I really disagree with that. Like, I don't think it feels like we're crammed. I feel like it does genuinely flow really smoothly. And it's yeah. like it's... It's the, I'm not saying like I hated it on my first watch like I fucking loved it but I feel like I could appreciate it a whole lot more on a second watch I yeah I've seen it um three times normally like just like normally and I've seen it like I've watched both commentary tracks um I do think yeah I I I definitely get where people are coming from with like the season eight spark notes thing because there's definitely a lot of that in there but a big a huge takeaway takeaway that I got from the commentary tracks is that Doc and Jackson basically did not Doc and Jackson kind of saved a lot of their season eight ideas for a potential season eight and this is much more of like its own thing because I think the the parts of season eight that I think were going to be in season eight is pretty much like the Hank stuff and like the stuff with Debbie slash Mantilla. Like um, they mentioned on the commentary that like Orpheus and Jefferson being involved in this plot line was not a thing they they had until they decided to make it a movie. Like it was going to be just like Dean and Helper stealing like Brock's charger and like going after Hank. Like there wasn't going to be like Orpheus and stuff. So I think a lot of that does come with them being like, oh, we're taking this and making it into like a movie, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I also, I don't know how much, like, because we can get to, like, the, like, so, like, the main couple plots here is that um, Hank obviously leaves at the end of season seven because um, Dean fucks Serena, and um, <laughs> so he leaves, at the, he leaves at the end of season seven to go, like, find himself, and also Action Man tells him and the audience that his mother's name is Bobby St. Simone, and she was an actress, and so that seemed like a huge thing they're setting up for, like, oh, we're going to be doing this next season, and also, so they start off with that, with, like, Hank is gone, and so, um, like, Brock and the OSI are looking for him, like, Dean's looking for him, and Rusty doesn't really care, because Rusty figures will come back when he wants to, and Rusty's more focused on his product launch, which is like a, um, it's like a helper Alexa, essentially, but they, there's like a, man, like a, fucked up thing with it where it can levitate when it plays music and so they have to deal with that and then the monarch is really mad because um he's doesn't want to be related to rusty obviously which he learned at the end of season seven and also he's not allowed to arch him anymore because of the um because sheila like the guild needs to define their relationship before they can arch each other so that's kind of like all our starting points. And then in typical venture fashion, they all sort of like intersect as they go along. But um, I think definitely the Hank stuff was was going to be in like the Hank stuff was definitely going to be in season eight, along with all like the um, Bobby St. Simone and like Debbie stuff was going to be in season eight. And I think I don't the, th the things that I don't know 
we're going to be in season eight. I don't know if the helper, like the helper pod was going to be in season eight or not, because they haven't mentioned that. They haven't mentioned any ideas for that at all on the commentary. Whereas in the commentaries, they, they have mentioned a lot of like cut ideas they had for season eight, but they mentioned almost nothing about the helper pod. So I don't know if like, I don't know if that was going to be in season eight or if that was going to be just like, you know, like part of, um, this thing they came up with for the movie to have like a you know thing to happen in the movie, right? Yeah. But um, so we can we can honestly at the top of this we can just go over like a lot of the stuff that Doc and Jackson talked about for season eight because just to get that out of the way because it is like the huge elephant in the room here. Um, so like I said, like they wanted to um, they wanted to have Dean and Helper following Hank, and also the multiple Hanks like the dis- dissociative identity disorder Hanks in his head were going to be like various dead clone Hanks at one point is something they talk what? about. What? Yeah, they're going to be like dead clone Hanks and the scene when they're he's like at the compound is going to be much more like they describe it as like horrific in the commentary. Um it's oh yeah, there, apparently there was supposed to be a scene with Wide Whale and St. Cloud together, which is interesting. Oh, weird. Yeah, they had to cut that from the movie. And Doc talks about how the biggest thing he he misses that they cut was a scene with Serena. And um, I have a lot of th- I you're, you're not a big Serena fan, right? I used to be an avid Serena hater, and then yeah. on one of my like recent adventure rewatches, I have grown to like her more. That one deleted scene on like season six dvd i think or season seven where she like her voice actress is just improving for like 10 minutes of her going off on rocco like made me love her (laughs) so funny um i have a lot of thoughts about like what they were trying to do with the hank dean and serena stuff because i remember when that season came out i was like this is i was like this is so weird like when that was my first reaction when the forecast manufacturer came out and like um we had that scene at the end where Hank finds them like having sex. I remember watching it as they and I was like, this, like, I, I was like shocking, but I was also like, this is weird. But then every time I rewatch season seven, it does make a lot more sense to me because, um, she obviously like likes Hank first, but if you watch their, her interactions with Dean in episode four, you realize that those two have way more in common personality wise because um like they both have these fathers that are involved in this world of like super villainy and super science and stuff and they both want like absolutely nothing to do with it and they want like a normal life and stuff so like but meanwhile hank is much more like he's much more full of adventure like hank wants to be doing all this adventure stuff and dean wants to be like a million miles away from it and that's what where serena is also and i also think that um a big Doc and Jackson actually talk about it in an interview they did where they said they don't want they really wanted to keep that Serena scene because they don't want fans walking away from the show being like, oh, she's a bitch. Like she broke up the Venture Brother. She's a bitch. And I think that's really, really interesting because I think that what they're trying to get across here is that like Doc says it a lot on the commentary for like both the season seven and the movie is that shit like this really does just happen to people, especially when they're like 19 years old and like stupid you know? Yeah. And I, th- I, I mean, obviously like what both Dean and Serena did was like really, really shitty, but I don't think either of them are even like particularly bad people. I think they're all just like, they're just 19 year olds, you know? Yeah. Like that's something that happens in college all the time. 
all the time. And I think it was, I think they wanted to, um, I think they wanted to send Hank off on his own in season eight. And I think this was like part of, the, I think they, this was part of the inciting incident they wanted to do for that. And I think I, the problem with, um, I mean, obviously we don't know if they could make more someday, but the problem with season seven in general is that like after the Morphic trilogy, they do a lot of character building stuff, but it's almost all set up for a season eight that never happened. And right. so that's like a lot of stuff seems weird in retrospect, but um, yeah. So apparently there was going to be there lost season eight episodes include um the time travel stuff like the um time travel stuff the hinted forecast manufacturer and Rusty and Billy come out of the Grover Cleveland presidential time machine that was going to be a whole episode apparently. Um, so that was, I'm surprised it was only one episode, but that's going to be, it was apparently supposed to be one episode, according to them in the commentary. So that was going to be an episode, um, there is an episode where apparently, I feel like this is something they probably would have changed as they developed it, but they had an episode idea where, um, Misha, Colonel Gentleman's dog, was going to get killed by, like, people who do, like, d professional dog costumes, and oh. it was going to it was going to be like Colonel Gentleman and Billy doing like a John Wick type thing on this like underground society of people who make like dog costumes. That is amazing. I, that feels like, like, no, like after reading the book and like listening to the commentaries, that very much feels like a first draft idea. They'd probably make like a B plot to something else. Right. But I, I, that is very interesting. Um, they they wanted to have Matt Barry, aka Laszlo, from what we do in the shadows, as Force Majeure. Oh is, my god! Never they, forget what they took from you. <laughs> no, literally, I want season eight so bad just for Matt Barry, Force Majeure. And they also mentioned on the commentary that they Force Majeure coming back to life was going to be a part of like Hank's storyline that they obviously kind of abbreviated into just that flashback scene. So that's the stuff I can see people really having a problem with, like because um, but they could still do that in a in a potential season eight. But yeah, they said as soon as they cracked the idea of they want Matt Barry as Force Majeure, that is allowed in the right forum like all day essentially. Um. I don't know how this fits. I don't know. They had a lot more ideas for the Comatown world. According to them, um, apparently the first episode of season eight ended with Brock getting trapped in the Comatown. And one script had um, Doc and Billy going into the Comatown on a rescue mission. And apparently Think Tank was involved at somehow. Um, I'm just looking through like that's that's like most of like the season eight stuff. Like I think most of the season eight stuff they cut was for the Hank stuff. Like, a lot of the Hank stuff, like, they compressed it into, like, one plot line. But I'm happy with what we got because it does do, like, the core things I wanted, which is we get resolution between Hank and Dean. We get resolution on, like, who the Venture Brothers' um, mom is. We do, we'll talk about it later. We get full resolution on who their mother actually is. And we get Dermot. We get Dermot back. I always wanted yes, to Yes, we Dermot. do! Um, for everybody listening who doesn't know Dermot, nobody, but like, <laughs> um, Dermot is my favorite character in Venture Bros, besides Hank and Gary. Yeah. Very popular choices, but like Dermot is like, that's my baby. <laughs> Incredible and top three. I, thank you. And like, I, when he showed up in the movie, I literally jumped off the couch, started like running in circles. I was so excited. I thought he like, I didn't know if he was actually going to show up or not. Yeah, we talked about this a lot where I was like, they gotta bring Dermot in. Like, they yeah. gotta bring Dermot in. Um, I love season six so much, but I remember, like, 
one of my big like one of my only issues that season is like i want more orpheus and i want more dermot and in this movie brought them both back to us in a big way after season seven kind of teased it um but yeah i'm so happy that we got orpheus and dermot having like pretty substantial parts in this movie i think it's the perfect note for them to go out on because they're just such great characters and i know they wanted to have it or they wanted to earn having everybody in new york but i like have dermot go with them he's adventurous like they should have had him go with them from the beginning but I love it. I love having Dermot and Orpheus back. But um so yeah, it seems like a lot of the stuff was cut from see come from like the Hank stuff. But um I don't know where they were going with the monarch and like the monarchy blood related to Rusty, because I don't know where that was going. Um and because the, they talked about also they had an initial outline that was like like the longest outline they've ever made and they got up to like the they got up to like their page count during like the second act like the the the, the count they had to like like stop at because of like i don't know the contract for however long the movie had to be they came up to that around like the end of the second act and so they had a lot more stuff going on like apparently billy and white were supposed to be in the tower when it went up and there was going to be like a whole thing where they were like testing their blood to figure out like if they're really related. And then like Brock was going to go on like a rescue mission and only get like Billy and White out by accident. And then like that's how Ventronic would happen because you need to have only four people in there for Ventronic. Um, so they had a lot of stuff planned, but they do say something that I love on the commentary. Um, they said what we what we showed you is what we wanted you to see in the end please don't act like oh they really what they really wanted is no this is the venture brothers right now what you're watching is the venture brothers that's their like direct quote from the commentary of what they said i'm very happy they said that because i do think that um i'm cuz i think that there's enough here to there's enough left open where they can still do all a bunch of stuff they like you know didn't fit into this movie in a potential season date while also this is also a perfect end point for the show i think that's yeah that's very true i do i do agree with that it's like it's the perfect it's the it's a very doc and jackson thing where they really did they did they did it perfectly like they did exactly what this movie should have been they gave you like a lot they they kept everyone in who like needed to be there and you got to see like all your favorite characters again but they still kept it to it wasn't gargantua 2 which is what was i i was kind of afraid of even though i love gargantua 2 gargantua 2 is just like plot 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 like it was just nothing it was non-stop plot and we don't spend that much time with like hank and dean or even like the monarch and stuff like there isn't that much like of our main characters in gargantua 2 it's almost all like plot stuff which i was afraid this movie would do but it's much more like an operation prom type finale where it's just like oh yeah here's like the 10 to 15 characters you love and all of them get like important meaningful stuff to do you know yeah like that's what i really wanted out of this movie and that's what they gave to us and it's perfect like i've just i think that um i would have loved for this to be like a full two hours i think that would have been even better but I do think that like it's so it's so perfectly venture to me that within the limitations they were given, they made something this good, you know? Yeah, I read I read in an interview that Doc said that they had to like beg for even like 10 more minutes. So mm -hmm. like thinking about how they they we were expected to cram like all of this. I, I just I think we deserve two hours. I agree yes. with you. Even three. <laughs> like, oh, I would fucking love. But, I think 
And then another thing I know. Um, another thing that I, I think I don't. I think this is an interview that I read as well. But like, they were supposed to have alchemist, but they just genuinely didn't have time to like write lines in for Al. Yeah, they really had to like cut him entirely because of the time limit. Time limit, and that's like crazy to me. Yeah, they said that they said on the commentary that Jackson was like, I wanted to have Alchemist come along, but I could not have another character just like another character like saying jokes. So that's what like part of the reason why they cut him. But yeah, that is crazy. I would have loved to have Alchemist come along on that part of the story. I think that's one of the big things that I miss. Um, I do think that they re Brock has almost nothing to do in this movie. That's another thing that they kind of lose with the runtime. Although I do go ahead. Oh, I was just say, um, my one of my friends who I watched it with, that was one of his complaints because he loves Brock and he's like, I feel like he didn't do anything. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, but like what with what was he gonna do with like all the time? Like (laughs) Yeah. It sucks. It does, but um I do think that I do love the moment they give him when he's like he because like He's defending Rusty and Hatred to, like, Hunter and the OSI. And that, do you remember that moment where he's, like, gives, like, a whole speech about how, yes. like, Rusty and Hatred as, like, a team you can bet on. And they both, like, they all just, like, laugh at him. Um, That's such a sweet moment. That's, I love when he does that. Because I do, like, I th- I a big thing that I've, they've always kept kind of vague to me definitely not i feel like um there's a lot of interpretations but i always i can never tell if brock actually does like love rusty or if he just loves the boys you know because you know he loves the boys but i don't know if he i can never tell if he really does care about rusty or if it's just like his job but i do think i think this movie does like concretely prove that he loves rusty and even loves hatred which i do think is very very sweet like it's I I love I love that moment so much that he does like genuinely have faith in Rusty Nature and doesn't want actually no I'm I'm fucking bullshitting what am I thinking of I'm thinking of because there's a scene in season five where he has to save Rusty from the guild guys I'm complete bullshitting he does love Rusty I <laughs> yeah I'm completely fucking bullshitting but oh I love that scene in season five too where um like Shirley's leaves trying to get him to leave but he can't leave Rusty and Billy alone in like the nightclub and stuff I love that scene yeah yeah um but yeah i i just i just love whenever brock loves the ventures even rusty like i remember season seven like this bothers me less now but um when he like helps hunter like take the teleportation stuff away from rusty i was like i don't know if i love this because it seemed like a little bit too mean for brock but in in hindsight it, it makes sense like it's fine but um I also, like, this is the first Venture Brothers episode we're doing on this podcast, so I have, like, no problems going into tangents. Um, Do you remember that scene from Orb, like, the Orb episode, where they're in, like, the library, and they find the Orb, and Brock is, like, behind them, and he has, like, the knife? Do you think he would have killed Rusty if Rusty tried to use the Orb? I don't remember this scene, so I can't say. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's like, um, it's like the setup is, um, all the venture bodyguards, like the, like the job of the venture bodyguard is essentially to kill, like their, the kill their, like the person they're guarding if they try to use the orb. And that's what his job is essentially. 
but Sandow, like um the like Jonas's grandfather, like Sandow, that bodyguard, he, he didn't kill his venture, he just broke the orb. So I feel like if Rusty tried to use the orb, Brock would just take it and break it. I don't think he would kill Rusty. But like the drama of that scene is like Brock is sitting, like they don't know Brock is there, but Brock is like behind a bookshelf, like with the knife, like about to do something if Rusty uses the orb. But then Rusty decides for the good of humanity they can't use the orb. And so Brock puts his knife away and leaves. So I think that I don't think that Brock would have killed Rusty there because I I just no. don't think that he would. But yeah, I agree. I don't think Brock would kill Rusty ever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just like that's just like a that's a, that's a scene that I've always been so like just intrigued by because it's so like they really do set it up as as if he's going to do something, but then like obviously nothing happens. But um, so yeah, like a big. One of the big things, too, with the Venture Brothers is I do think that they're, like, one of the only flaws of the Venture Brothers to me is I don't think they write women extremely well. Like, they don't write women bad. It's just that, like, a lot of the times they really don't know what to do with female characters beyond Dr. Girlfriend. A lot of it is because they're not voiced by, you know, Doc and Jackson themselves. And that's the best characters they can write for. But I do think, so I remember, I wasn't worried, but I was interested when um, when the movie, we had all this, like, plots, like, the plot descriptions come out. And they mention um, both Bobby St. Simone and a woman named Mantilla, who's described as, like, um, a mysterious woman from their past. And I was like, okay, we're going to have two, like, extremely integral to the plot of this movie, female characters. And I was very interested to see how Doc and Jackson handle it. And I think they're, they fucking, they fucking knocked it out of the park. Um, Bobby St. Simone is great, but Debbie slash Mantilla especially, I fucking love her. I think she's like, she, I might like her almost more than Sheila, almost. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> I love Debbie so fucking much. She's such a great character um she's like she's my girl fail lesbian yeah she's good (laughs) and like i feel like doc and jackson didn't know like obviously um like i feel like a big part of the show also is them maturing over like the 20 years they've made it right and i do think that a, a part of that is them realizing oh we can write like girl fail characters you know yeah yeah and i think debbie is like the perfect character for that and also um did you fucking lose your mind when like she appears and the monarch is like like oh yeah it's my ex did you like lose your mind yes when he was like debbie i was like what i i i audibly like shouted what and then the ex part and i like gasped and i was so dramatic but like I was expressive. I was going crazy. That was crazy. <laughs> I could not fucking believe that. And also, it's so good how, um, like, so much of this movie does the Doc and Jackson thing where it's like, I could sit here for, like, forever and try to come up with, like, who this mysterious woman is. I don't think I'd ever come up with she's Monarch's ex-girlfriend, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I do think a big part of, like, I think a huge part of um the Monarch's character is that, like, Every season as they go on, they kind of humanize him more and more and make him less and less of a comic book character. And um, I think that they do that, that 
they bring it to another dimension here by like, oh yeah, Monarch had like a girlfriend in college, you know? Because that seemed to me, it was just like, oh yeah, you know, he graduated college, he started working Phantom for Phantom Limb and met Dr. Girlfriend and that's it. Like I never figured that he had like another girlfriend in there, like somewhere. Right. It's so perfect. And also, um, Debbie is like, she's like the missing piece of the Venture Universe. Like, she is, as they conf- Doc confirms on the commentary that she is their biological mother. Like, so that is confirmed, like, word of God, that is confirmed. She is Hank and Dean's biological mother. Um, She gave Rusty her eggs in exchange for Rusty giving her her mother's, like, invisibility, essentially. So she is the, she is the Venture Boy's mom. And also, um... She's like obviously she's the monarch's ex girlfriend, and we also find out that the, both the like the monarch and Sheila think that they that monarch broke up with Debbie because Rusty and her had sex, but we find out that that's not true. And I feel like I feel like the biggest um I feel like having Rusty say it himself is also one of the biggest um confirmations that it's not true because I don't think Rusty would ever deny having sex with anybody. That's you know? yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Like I don't think Rusty would ever deny having sex with anybody. So having Rusty confirm that they didn't have sex is so, is so huge cuz like oh so they really did it then. So I, but um they also so like they bring that up that um she had like sex with Rusty and then Gary thinks that it's like you know the main reason why and the monarch goes it's not why I hate venture it's like number reason number 100 and I do agree like I do think that's not the main reason why but they do mention on the like Jackson says on the commentary that it it very clearly bothers Rusty a lot more than he lets on you know because there is that elevator scene where, like, Rusty is, like, they're, they're just kind of, like, talking shit to each other. And Rusty hits, um, I mean, Monarch hits, like, the stop button on the elevator. And is like, why'd you fuck Debbie? And they get into, like, an argument about it. And I do think that, um, I think that it bothers the Monarch a lot more. Like, like Jack, it bothers him a lot more than he lets on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Yes. Also, your Monarch impression is spot on (laughs) thank you i've been doing it for like literally 10 years like if i'm like outdoors or in a car i can really do it because i can scream but like i can i yes i i i pride myself in my monarch impression but um so i really do love how they handle like the rusty and monarch hatred here because they really could have like they could have given us nothing on this you know like they like there's so much in this movie they really could have been like nah fuck it because like I feel like a big thing thing they never would have revealed is why the monarch hates Rusty. And this is kind of what I figured beforehand, but they do like they do really confirm here that um it's not one big thing. It's kind of like a combination of many things that like that kind of like come up over the course of like the their entire lives because we know they've known each other their entire lives. And um I think it's not like one singular thing. It's more of like a combination. Like he took the Monarch's toy truck when they were playing as kids. You know, he fucked his college girlfriend. He's eating all the cocktail shrimp at the party. Like it's just a combination of all these various things that really, really piss the Monarch off. But also I do think that, um, 
I do think that there's more that they're not telling us that they're really leaving open to interpretation because um, one of the best scenes in season seven is in like the Oracle affair when the monarch is tied up in wide whales, like apartment and he's having like a nightmare where he's like, he's like drowning or he's like, he's, he's in a lake and like Rusty is standing on like, just like the bank, like the lake, just like, you know, in full clothes and Monarch's like, come on, join me. And then Rusty's like, um, Rusty's like, leave us alone, you jackass. It's freezing. And the Monarch is like, you are never there for me before he starts drowning and wakes up. And I think that is huge. Like I really like, I want them to get into that more than anything if there's a season eight, because I do think that there's so much history in between the two of them that we really don't see you know it's very true yeah like i think that i think that um i don't know if they were childhood best friends but they definitely had a lot going on during their childhood and also um i also well, they, were, talk- they were they were kind of like raised together and like inferred raised together yeah because yeah. of that picture of them like playing together at the compound yeah, they were like definitely raised together. I think it's just there's so much going on, and I think that um, I think that a lot of it is the monarch really does want to have like some connection with with at least like some somebody, and I think that Rusty just does not give a shit about him at all because Rusty is just like inherently like selfish, mm-hmm. and I think also um. I mean, we don't really know what happens in between, um, like, the plane crash and the Pine Barrens and the Monarch gets stranded and, like, you know, them in college together. Um, We don't know what happens in that span of, like, you know, eight or so years. And I do think it's entirely possible that the rest, because Rusty gets all of, like, that, I mean, Rusty and Monarch both become, like, extremely wealthy. And I think it's possible that that the Monarch wants to connect with Rusty as, like, one of the only people remaining in his life. And then Rusty essentially is just like, leave us alone, you jackass. Like, he wants nothing to do with him, you know? And I think that might be, like, the genesis of, like, the Monarch persona is happens during that, like, during that, like, high school aged period of like rusty and um monarch but also like i don't know how that fits in with jonas or venturion because jonas they say in the commentary that um jonas definitely thinks the monarch died in the plane crash because that's why he doesn't look for him at all when he rebuilds venturion so i don't know how that fits in i don't know like it's there's so much that i that i don't know where the timeline is but that's like kind of kind of like my theory that he wants that like he initially wanted that connection with rusty and rusty didn't want anything to do with him so like that baboon blood that made him more aggressive caused him to like start hating rusty you know yeah yeah i i i i before like that the commentary about like you know jonas thinks that monarch is dead i honestly like was thinking about this like a few months ago where like he would have had to go to the plane crash to go get like venturion's body yeah and assuming that like the monarch had like woken up and like maybe like left and like gone off with like quote-unquote like his butterflies or i think in the art book they said like that was just his imagination he was picked up by like a park trooper yeah trooper or something like that yeah but i i just i think it's in jonas's nature i think i don't like i know like he thinks that he's dead but i also think jonas just didn't care enough to go look for him absolutely i think that's a big part of it i think he doesn't give a fuck at all but yeah yeah. um but they have yeah they they had like a um 
they had a lot of stuff with there's just so much we don't know and i really i just want to know so much more about like and just we could literally two. spend hours just like thinking of all these different theories but who, who knows <laughs> that's that's also like the magic of this show and why this show sticks with me more than any other show ever because doc and jackson think about this as much as we do and like and so it's you feel that in the tv show and also they don't just give it like they don't just give it everything to you they do make you like work for it and i love that about this show yeah i i don't know if it was like in the art book or commentary or whatever but i th- remember they once said that like they wanted to make make the show feel like things are happening all the time in the background even like yes. when you're not watching the show yes. and like that really is part of the magic it really is um so yeah i just i i really do think that that's a huge part of it is that um like the monarch wants that connection with rusty and like is just completely denied it at all the t- at all times and it's possible that like the arching is part of just like that wanting because it is like it is a connection you know like it is like right. they it's so because like um like even when they supposedly hate each other and i do think that sheila probably does hate rusty um the like the the seven of them or like eight like like the ventures and the monarch crew they are like this weird family you know right yeah and i do love that moment in um in the movie when brock helps sheila get away because he knows that she didn't do this you know right yeah i think that's a great moment because like brock has known her like they've known each other for like 20 years like they've been doing this for like 20 years you know and like he knows they're harmless like that's also why he lets the monarch and sheila take rusty because he knows they're harmless like he knows that he doesn't have to actually worry about them like killing rusty so like having having the monarch take rusty from like the nightclub in season five is like it's like having like it's like having one of your friends pick up your friends from the bar like oh yeah they're gonna get him home like it's right. fine yeah like and i love that so much and i think also um i think that uh the thing because one of the biggest things that i was so like constantly intrigued by is the time travel scene in season seven when rusty and pilly come out come out of the time machine and look at him and and rusty calls him malcolm and that's a huge moment because i do think that um i'm fine with them not resolving it in the movie i would rather they resolve it in like future seasons if they do make more because I feel like there's so much there. Because I feel like this does open up, um, this does open up a lot for the Monarch and Rusty to have like more of a connection down the line. Because I I think it's also possible that Rusty knows and remembers Malcolm, the kid he grew up with, but does not make the connection that Malcolm is the Monarch, because he's just that much of a selfish asshole. Uh, but also I, I know. I want to add on to your theory. Um, it could be that he just doesn't like remember. Yes, and it's like it's like a clone memory wipe thing. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but like one of the reasons is like one of the reasons I say that is in the Morphic trilogy when like Monarch comes down and like his fucking um like full like Monarch colors and is like um and Blue Morpho calls him Malcolm and Rusty clocks it. He looks him and he goes like. Pfft malcolm like he's like he's like laughing at the name but i can definitely see that being like after that he starts to slowly form those connections in that brain between yeah. like oh, yeah. this kid i played with is like when we were younger is like the asshole that like you know was always like tormenting me so i do think that um 
I think that's what that scene means. I think there's a lot more. I think that we get a lot, a lot of interesting stuff with those two um, down the line with like, um, like their connection and like, cause it's so, it, I, I'm very glad that they didn't try to shove the time travel stuff in here, which I was kind of afraid they were going to do. I was afraid they were going to do like, not afraid, but I was like, I don't know if we have enough, that, like if they shove the time travel stuff into this movie, it really, that would have been like a Gar Gargantua 2 type move. Right. And I think that could have worked, but not for a series finale. And I think this movie, this movie definitely, um, it puts the the idea of a series finale above, like, of it being a series finale above anything else, in my opinion. Like, I think that the number one goal they have for this movie is to make it a good, satisfying series finale for the ventures. And I think they really do succeed at that. Because, like... They can't just like they have to like they have to pick up the baggage they had in season um in season seven. But also I'm gonna end and restart this because it's doing the thing yes. where it, like times out. Okay, hold on. Okay, so we were talking about um I figured out a much better way to do the podcast now, so we're back. We were talking about um something with fucking Rusty and Doc or well you want to talk about Oppenheimer real quick so I did okay so James Urbaniak the one and only Rusty Venture he was also in another movie that came out on the infamous July 21st 2023 great day for film yeah. uh, he was in Oppenheimer for like a minute <laughs> he had like two lines but when I went and saw Oppenheimer, I was literally like cheering in my seat. Like I got so excited. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. Like I haven't. I have. So I have made like I've tried to make um Barbenheimer plans both together and separate like five times, and every single time it falls through. Um, currently it's possible I may do it next weekend. Who the fuck knows? I may never see um Barbenheimer. But if I do, I'm gonna fucking scream when that happens. Um, so this is. I will say the Venture Brothers movie is the one of the only things like this speaking of cheering this shit got me cheering by myself which I like will never do like I was in my um I have like a really good setup in like we have like a kind of like a um TV room upstairs that used to be a bedroom and um so it's like kind of like the best way to watch like stuff so i normally watch movies up there and I watched this when I came home from work and got the blu-ray and the fucking opening scene was incredible. Like the title sequence with like that that um Doc Hammer made with all like the actors' names and stuff. Because like we haven't seen one of those in literal years. Like the last time they did a full one was in the Venture Halloween special. You know, so that's insane. I don't even like think about that. So because they have it regularly in seasons one through three, they have one. They have they have it in season four, episode one, and then none for the rest of season four, and then in the Halloween special, and then none for the rest of five, six, or seven. So this is like the first one in like so long, and I think it is the best venture intro. Like, what do you think? I agree. It's like not only that the voice actor stuff is back, it's uh, at the end of it, the the two running like Hank and Dean's are their season four designs, oh, which yeah. is insane to me. <laughs> That's so funny. I fucking, um, because one of my big things that I really, really, really love, like in, I love um, when cartoons become movies. Like I love when my, car like, when my dumb cartoons get to become movies. And I really love when they get to do like a big like movie version of their opening. And 
I think this is maybe the best one I've ever seen. Like, I remember, because they kind of do, like, the normal intro stuff, and then it shows, like, when it showed, like, the James Urbaniac title card, I'm, I I was like, fuck yeah! Like, I literally started <laughs> cheering, like, by myself. It was, I, like, I will never forget, like, the pure hype of just of that seeing that intro for the first time. It was so good. Like, it's so fucking good. But, um... Yeah, I'm just I'm just blown away how like I love that they I'm so glad they they like didn't cut that for time and kept that in because it's so perfect, you know? Like it adds so much. And Doc and Jackson also said that um a big thing they repeated is this isn't a movie, but I 100% disagree. I think this is extremely like cinematic more so than the average venture episode. Like Oh yeah, for sure. I think that they're um I think that their, like, animation, like, I think the animation got an upgrade. Obviously, the score's always been, like, movie tier, but, like, the score is also on fire throughout the whole thing. Um, like, that scene when they're in the subway and, like, um, like, Mantilla's there with all, like, the arch soldiers and stuff. Like, that scene is fucking, like, insane to look at. It's so pretty. It's so cool. Um... So, yeah, we can honestly, we can, I've been holding off because, um, I have so much to say, but we can, we can start talking about Debbie, like, Debbie slash, um, Mantilla, who is, like, she is the missing piece of, like, the Venture Brothers universe, you know? Yeah. Um, did you know about Force Majeure before this movie? I, no. That's, I feel like I should, but I know. <laughs> I think they mentioned him literally twice. Like I would not I'm not, I'm not I would I like I'm not I'm not like I'm not blaming you for not remember, for not remembering him because they mentioned him twice, I think. That's an adventure thing to do though. This like one off like side character mentioned like one time, boom, has significance like several seasons later. Yeah. <laughs> That's what hatred is. Like they do that. <laughs> like um they do that with like they have like Truculees and stuff. They mention him, and then he appears in season three. Um, speaking of that, they mention a lot in season two a character called Crimodile, and Crimodile is on Force Majeure's Council of Thirteen, which I thought was a good touch. Um, but so I am like, I am like a fucking freak about this show that has analyzed like almost every single line, and so I've always been super, super like alright, like, what the fuck is up with Force Majeure? Because he's mentioned as the Sovereign's predecessor, and the meteor they hang out in is called Meteor Majeure, and it's like, it was like his old base or whatever. Yeah. And, um, they, I think they also, I think all the mentions of him are in Gargantua too. I think, um, they mentioned they had the boys brigade, brigade up there at some point when Force Majeure kidnapped them, and so we learn in this, um, we learned in this movie, we have a whole flashback scene with Force Majeure, um, that we learned, like, Bobby St. Simone's backstory, which is that she was an actress that was in a movie called Follow That Bikini, which, um, she needed to be invisible for, and so in order to do that, um, Jonas offered to literally make her invisible. He fucked it up, so she kind of, like, phases in and out a lot, and so he also, like, has sex with her, because of course he does, and, um... (laughs) So she like she meets like little kid Rusty and stuff, and eventually the OSI kind of force her to go um, spy on the guild. She ends up defecting, joins the guild, becomes Debbie calls her Madame Major, which is like I guess her super villain name. She's dressed like the Dazzler from the X Men comics, which is amazing. Great, it's perfect venture reference. 
Um, and she, like, you know, falls in love with Force Majeure, and they have a daughter who is Debbie St. Simone, also known as Debbie Majeure, aka Mantilla, who is, like, the quote-unquote villain of this movie. So, that's a whole lot of backstory, but I think, oh, they also tell us that Force Majeure, um, was Jonas's, like, main arch enemy, which is perfect. I think that's perfect, like, it makes total sense why you'd have the Boys Brigade up there. I love it. I think that's a perfect, um, perfect, like, little thing to give us. But, yes, I was so excited to finally see a design for Force Majeure. He, he is, does look like he'd be voiced by Matt Berry. And also, he's very Magneto. He's got, like, the Magneto helmet and everything on him. So I think that was very interesting, too. Like, they just like, they made him Magneto, essentially. The, that, that Matt Berry line, the, um, oh my god. I'm, what a- I'm reading his character name from what we were in the shadows for some reason. Laszlo. That one line from Laszlo that's like, you're the most devious bastard in New York City. That is something that he would... Yeah. (laughs) That is something he would say to Jonas. (laughs) Yeah, that is... Yeah, that is perfect. I I really want... I want season eight, like, almost just for, like, Force Majeure. Like, Matt Berry Force Majeure. Like, it's... it's (laughs) So good. But, um... So, yeah. Another thing... Go ahead. I... I'm assuming you're gonna get here, but I just want to say, um, Force Majeure uh, does get killed by the Sovereign, and like the Sovereign, like the David Bowie one that we know. Yeah. And uh, Debbie does see that happen, and you brought up a theory to me about how. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get to this, but like Debbie is obsessed with uh, Doctor Girlfriend, and it, like is essentially stalking her. Yeah. And. To the point where it kind of seems very like much like she's a lesbian and she's like in love with her or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you you presented me this theory that she's obsessed with Sheila because uh, Sheila was the one who's known as the like killer of the sovereign. The what's the technical? They call they call her the vanquisher of the sovereign in season. Seven. That, yes, vanquisher of the sovereign. And I think like you said, those are all connected. And I agree <laughs> yeah i was literally I ho- just about to uh, that was that was what i was also gonna say <laughs> um yeah so sheila is like so we don't know how long she's been stalking sheila i think because uh, like this theory could just be me like like spouting nonsense because we do see that there's like stuff from like way before um she kills the bowie sovereign like there's but it could also i think it's possible that she gets that stuff afterwards like after she becomes obsessed with sheila um but also no because she she's been following sheila for a while because like she says that she had no time to team up with her because she went from like truculees to phantom limb to the monarch and so but i do think that this uh, this plays into it like it's i don't think it's the main reason why she's obsessed with sheila just because of like that line but she does like we do see that scene where she she sees like bowie murder um force majeure also she looks like she's so like the little kid design of her is so like cute. It makes me feel so bad for her. Like she looks like a little Hank, you know? Yeah. Like before they really put that together, I was like, oh my God. For a second, I was like, I, I don't know if they're good. I was like, is she like, is she like a, an adult, like trans original Hank? I could have seen that too. That would have been cool. Um, like you, you got my brain going that could, hold on <laughs> like I, <You're> <laughs> like I was just like I 
I like I love that shot of like um Bobby and Debbie seeing like um Bowie murder force majeure because it's like there's so much in that shot alone. But um I do think that that's like obviously that's probably one of like her biggest traumas is like seeing you know, her father get fucking murdered by Bowie. And it's also possible that's why she hasn't been around that Bowie could have like, you know, been like kill like you know, Bobby could have had, like, an out for, like, Bobby and Debbie, but, like, hey, all guild members have to, like, capture and kill this woman if they see her, so that could be why she's been out on, like, that ranch with Bobby all these years, you know? That's true, yeah. I th- But, um, I do think that a lot of the stuff with, um with like uh sheila and debbie does i think it does have to do with this like her character makes so much sense to me because it's like um she does she can she definitely admires sheila and sees how competent she is and she is always just kind of like working for shitty men but um but yeah so she sees she sees that she's married to that guy that she dated in college and their life work is fucking chasing around rusty venture the guy that she gave her eggs to like 20 years ago you know i can so see her just being like just driven crazy by all that potential because we do find out in this movie that like mantilla's plan was to essentially um she kind of like lures the monarch and Gary into Rusty's tower, like into Ventec Tower, takes control of the helper pods and essentially sends it into space intending to kill all of them so her and Sheila can like kind of take over and run the guild. That was her plan, you know? Yeah. So or not even run the guild, like run a run arch would be like a new version of the guild. And um but also one thing that I do love about the resolution here is that like every other superhero show on earth or a superhero movie on earth would have the plot go like, okay, so um, Sheila presents Debbie with this totally rational, like um, totally rational deal that where everyone gets what they want. And she says, no, and betrays her because she's evil, you know, like that's what every other superhero show would do but but no she's like oh yeah okay that works like she completely just like she just goes with it she she agrees to stop being like quote-unquote evil and help sheila because like sheila can help her achieve her goals you know like she's okay that's fine right like i I think it's so brilliant that they don't go for that like oh she's she's evil so she's gonna betray sheila anyway no she just she completely like just she just like calms down and helps sheila like it's perfect i love how they do that yeah I think plus like I don't I wouldn't even think of Mantilla as somebody who's evil in the first place. Yeah, she's not. She's really not. Like I think, you know, obviously trying to kill like the characters that we love is, you know, makes her evil, but I do think that she's not even like inherently evil. I think she does just want to be like respected and she does want, you know, she wants um she like she, said, she wants to run a more efficient version of the guild, but I do think also this does show us a lot about sheila's character as well because she says that um she she's like she says that she knows her life isn't perfect but she chose it because she she chooses to stay with the monarch she chooses to try to run the guild as it is because she even though these things are like shitty and incompetent would probably fall apart without her she does genuinely love them and she chose her life and she doesn't need to be rescued from it essentially which I think is so good. I think I think we I think we learned just a lot more about Sheila just from those interactions in this movie, you know? 
Right, yeah. Like, Sheila's just such a good fucking character. Debbie is such a good character. She's so funny, too. Like, I feel like they could have very easily written her as just, like, oh, she's, like, you know, a badass, like, evil woman who's going to do all this evil shit. And so she's never, like, but she's funny. Like, she's really funny. And she's, like, um, she's a, she's a girl failure. And I love it. Like, all the scenes with her and Sheila in the apartment or, like, when they're invisible. And I don't know what, why she says this. She's, she's like, um, she's, like, maybe sound like a poodle. Like, she's just, she's just goofy and funny. I love Debbie so much. I want more of her. Um, I, I hope we get our season eight and we get more Debbie. We deserve more Debbie. <laughs> yeah, like, one of the only, I mean, they definitely resolve it enough so that, like, it's, but I, I really hope that if they make more, she's not just written out like Warriana was, you know? Like, yeah. give me more Debbie. Like, I want Debbie to, I want Debbie to interact with, like, the Ventures. Like, I don't know if they're going to ever reveal that, I don't know if the characters are ever going to learn that she's Hank and Dean's biological mom, but I would love to see that, you know? Um, but yeah, so also we can also get into like, um, the genesis of the Venture Brothers, because that is also a big part of this is that, um, we did not know who, like, we, we do find out who the Venture Brothers are in this movie because, um, Bobby has like invisibility that she doesn't want. And so she, her and Debbie go to Rusty and Rusty basically takes her invisibility like powers and gives it to Debbie in exchange for Debbie's eggs so he can literally grow the Venture Brothers like from scratch. And we see in that end credit scene that he's got Hank and Dean in there strapped to his like chest in like an artificial womb. And um I I read an interview where Doc says that like it's there's a lot going on to it, but he's like, he's like, no, Rusty is their mommy. <laughs> like Doc said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Rusty is their mommy. He's like, um, he's like, it's all about like gender and how it's all like weird and nonsense and how your, how, how your family is like just weird and nonsense and stuff like that, which I think is awesome. I think it's so good. It's such a perfect weird little note to end on. It's a perfect message to get from Venture as well. It really is. Like, um, and also, I think that um, a big part of it, too, is I, I really want to know why he decided to have the boys. Um, in an interview, Jackson says that it's possible that there is some, like, uh, clause to inheriting the venture fortune. There has to be, like, an heir. And it's possible that um, he just did it. He's like, well, no one's going to fuck me. So he has to um, make, like, a make the boys himself, you know? That's what that's what Jackson was talking about. I like that, but I also like the deeper underlying part of it, which is I do think that Rusty Rusty cares about the Venture legacy, at least a little bit, because I think that he does want to carry on the Venture legacy, and I do think that he was lonely at that compound and he wanted like a family, you know? Right. I used I used to think that it, because like the whole Nikki situation made him realize how badly he wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And then that theory became full of holes as soon as I realized that Dermot is technically younger than the boys. <laughs> yeah, Rusty looks a lot different in the scene with the womb and the scene where um he's at yeah. like, Nikki's house. But that is a good theory. I do I I do think that Rusty does want a family. But also, yeah, we also know that the boys are a big thing that they they talk about a lot but never really get into is that Hank and Dean are much are supposed to be older than they are. 
Yeah, there's that one line from Bobby where she's like, you're younger than I expected you to be or whatever when she sees Hank for the first time in that movie. She says that and then also she says to him, like makes a point of saying like, it's not, she's like, it's not the first time you've been here. It's not even the second. And we also know that according, like in the Myra episode, we know that they're not, they're supposed to be way older. And then like, um, Hank says this date is wrong on like his, um, like his ID card or something, whatever, in the second episode of season two when they come back. So I think that um, I also wonder if it could be also we see in season two that Rusty like goes on like a fucking like, you know, world traveling bender every time that the boys die or at least that time the boys die so i wonder if he does it every single it can't be every single time but i do wonder if like maybe the first time that the boy the the boys could have died when they were like babies the first time and it could have really fucked rusty up and he could have been gone for a while and then he decides to do the clone thing you know yeah that's that's um interpret there's just so much to fucking think about with this show also on that note of that scene you just brought up when he first meets bobby and she's like oh that's a shame family is so important he's like is that supposed to be a fucking joke like insane delivery like i being like oh my god like it's such a good delivery from jackson you know yeah and like the thing is on like the amazon prime video version which like both my rewatches have been like the censored version yeah um there you 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 like sent me a video of that scene and i'm like this has so much more impact without the censor why yes. is it censored on here yes i've i have no idea why it's censored that really makes me mad because it is like it is such an impactful line when it's uncensored and it really doesn't hit the same when it's censored like i think oh god it's such like it almost reminds me, like, it's a much, much, much less serious example what I'm going to bring up. But it reminds me of, like, in the Simpsons movie when Marge is like, somebody throw the goddamn bomb. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, you don't expect Marge to say goddamn like that, you know? And yeah. It's like the same thing here where it's like, oh, my God, Hank. Because, like, you you feel like all 19 years of abandonment in that one sentence, you know? Yeah, that's true. Oh my god. So fucking good. And I do think also, um, it's such a good, it was such a good choice to focus on Hank for this movie, because Hank is the heart and soul of the Venture Brothers. Like, he is truly, like, he's, he's like the best character in television history, which I have no problem <laughs> saying. But he To is, quote, uh, to ahead. quote somebody on Twitter, if you hate Dean, you're going to hell. If you hate Hank, you're going somewhere worse. Exactly. He is the And I live by that. <laughs> like, it's such a perfect choice to make this movie all about Hank because he is really the best character in, like, the show. And, um... But, yeah, it's just... I fucking love they focus on Hank. I... One of my biggest laughs of the movie is when he's on the train and um he, he's been paying for everything with, like, the giant checkbook. I think that's yes. hilarious. That's a perfect. That's a perfect callback. Um, uh, let's see what. It, also, how, how about that? How about that brief Dean and Sarita moment we got to see on oh the my train? God, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> like, jump scare. <laughs> yeah, truly a fucking jump scare. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene when they're like breaking into because like they get like. Um, they join Arch, which also is a perfect character turn for the Monarch because um, that, like, 
it's so perfectly monarch that like he gets into a fight with sheila and like he immediately offered the opportunity to go arch rusty with like upgraded tech he's not going to not do that you know like, right. he has to do that and um like he it's just like his nature he will do that and so he does join arch but arch which i didn't really pick up until like multiple rewatches it's not real it's all just a trap to get him into that tower which i think is really interesting um but i also love that scene when like the helper pods start levitating and they play that fucking song amazing scene it's so cinematic like it's like it's it really does like it feels like it does feel like you're watching a movie in that scene like it doesn't feel right. like a scene in a normal episode it's so cinematic love that scene so fucking much it's so it's so the scene when they go into like the lab with all the helper pods and they all get like fucking thrown around so scary did you freak out during that scene yes i i feel like that's the scariest venture has ever gotten and i kept like I was so shocked during that whole scene because, like, oh my god, I that was so violent. <laughs> like, um, for like a split second, when because like the like the monarch gets like sucked in like up to like the ceiling, and you see like hatreds like machine guns flying around, and you see like all the blood flying out of his like face. I was like, oh my god, is he dead? Like, I thought they fucking like I knew I knew it wouldn't stick, but for like oh, I was like, oh my fucking god, because like they almost they all like almost like really died. It was so scary. Have you did you notice that Helper died in that scene? Yeah, but he's he's at the end though. He's his head is with hatred. Oh, I forgot about that. He's like <laughs> holding his head at the end. One of my friends asked me, like, one of my friends um is like, Oh my god, is Helper okay? I was like, Yeah, he's with hatred at the end. He might not be on, but like his head is with hatred at the end. Um, he he can be rebuilt. It's happened before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can Helper, like Helper's almost like Kenny from South Park. Like in the first two seasons, Helper gets destroyed like almost every fucking episode. Um they can yeah, they can rebuild Helper like no like without a fucking second thought like yeah help there's no chance helpers like really dead um but yeah i'm just going through oh yeah one of the lost season eight episodes is apparently because like obviously a huge part of the delay for season eight is um doc hammer was literally paralyzed um and so he was literally had to teach himself how to walk again which is insane but um he was paralyzed like right before season seven started airing because i listened to a podcast with him where he was like in the hospital he's like i need to watch my show and the nurse was like um you can watch the show tomorrow sweetie he's like no I, i'm not an i'm not a crazy old person i need to watch the show that i fucking made it's airing on tv and so like <laughs> um part a season eight plot they wanted to do is that like monarch and gary couldn't get henchmen so they had to get like um they get like disabled people and like paraplegics as henchmen and doc would just put like all of his stuff into that all the stuff he wanted to write about with being a paraplegic into like that episode which is interesting doc described it as, as his horrors yeah as all the horrors that i faced into that episode um but yeah, fucking, it is crazy that Doc Hammer literally taught himself how to walk again. Like He's a metahuman. He, he really, really is. He's a metahuman. He can, like, it's incredible. But um, also on the commentary, because, like, one of the last scenes is Debbie and Sheila in Guild Headquarters, and there's, like, a bottle that Watch and Ward have been pissing in, which is, like, obviously a reference to Doc Hammer and the Astro Base. And um, <laughs> they're talking about it, and Doc mentions that he that he's done it recently, and Jack is like confronts him about it, and Doc is like, "I was a paraplegic. Yeah, I pissed in bottles, which is really funny." <laughs> um, 
I'm just like going through like all my fucking um all my notes here. But yeah, like one of the like I mentioned this before, but, like they did want the Hanks, like the Hanks in his head, like the disassociative identity Hanks to be like dead Hank clones, which is really really interesting. Um, they did set that up though in season seven, like during the Morphic trilogy. Hank is talking to Dean, and he's like, "That's moment, like it's like I am like Russian Gaiovich or the Bat or Enrico Matassa, you know." So like. All these altars, essentially, like, Hank does have DID, but they do kind of fix it through, like, magic, kind of. Like, Orpheus helps them, like, through it. Yeah. Really interesting. I wonder how I much... mean, like, yeah. in real life, I've I've heard of therapy where, like, it's kind of, like, fusing these parts back together. And it's, mm-hmm. like, it's a very, like, long therapy process. But I think that does happen in real life. Don't source me on that. I'm not that educated on the process. But yeah. I do know that's a thing that exists. Yeah. But also, like, it's the Venture Brothers. Like, Orpheus yeah. has been- <laughs> Um, I do think it's perfect that... Because also a big part of Hank's character that they mentioned on the commentary for Safrax Protocol is that Hank is, like, super sane. Like, he's he's the most, like... He's the most sane person in the Venture Brothers universe, which makes him, like, seem insane. But, um, like, he's obviously upset about the Dean and Serena thing, but I love that he doesn't hate Dean. Like, his his alters get to beat the shit out of Dean, and Hank saves Dean, and they go back to, like, real, back to the real world, and they, like, hug, and Hank thanks him for coming to save him. Like, and obviously... It's they're not one hundred percent back to normal, I think, but there's a really good scene where he's talking to um J- oh yeah, J.K. Simmons is Ben is back in this movie, which I would have always wanted, and he's talking to J.K. Simmons, Ben, and um Ben gives him the watch, and it's like um it basically says like tells him to choose your family and the complications make it special. So we know that Hank chooses Dean. Like we know that Hank because Hank and Dean, like Hank loves Dean so much, he's not gonna one of the stupidest fan theories that I always hated was, oh, Hank and Dean are going to grow up and arch each other, which is such a fucking huge misread of the show, you know? Yeah, it's it feels very similar. I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the Scream movies, but, like, people who think, like, the main character, Sydney, is going to be, like, a ghost face killer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. That just sounds like some sort of, like, shock value fan theory. That would not make any sense, any yeah. sense of the word. I just, I hate that fan theory, and almost, I feel like they debunk it in this movie, because, um, like, obviously what, the, like, the inciting incident is what happens in season seven, when Dean has sex with Hank's college girlfriend, and we also learn in this that the, the monarch, one of the reasons he hates Rusty is because he thinks that Rusty had sex with his college girlfriend, so they're drawing a parallel between those two scenarios, but I think you do see both um hank and dean rise above it and talk through it and like they're they're gonna be fine i think that's a big part of it is like they don't they don't i mean they they do literally like hank literally says that he forgives dean when he like rescues him from the other hanks but like i a huge part like they're gonna be fine you know and i think that's so it's so perfect but um yeah, I do love that. I another fan theory that I'm glad they did nothing with, or like, is there they did not mention Scare Bear at all. And I've seen people complain about it, and it's like, shut the fuck up about Scare Bear. Um, they talk about it on the commentary. I'm trying to um, cause I have, my notes page is like fucking incredibly long. Um, so in Jackson's mind, he was like a serial killer in a costume, and in Doc's mind, he just had like the mind of a child. And Doc said essentially that um, he, 
that they weren't doing it, but eventually, if people kept bothering them, they'd be like, you know what, fuck you, I do care now, we are gonna do it. And then Jackson says he wouldn't because it's too comic booky and they don't care about it. So, Scare Bear, stop fucking asking about it, doesn't matter. Like, I... I am just so bewildered that that took off as such a huge fan thing because, like, it's so obvious to me that it's just, like, it's just one of those weird things in the Ventureverse. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a plot device. Um, like, I I agree. I just, I like the theory that Scare Bear is 24 because I think it's funny. That's fucking <laughs> hilarious. That's really funny. <laughs> I want, yeah, I that's really funny. Um... We also know, um, they talk about in the commentary, which I really think is really interesting, is, um, because, do you remember in season four when they, um, when Bowie Sovereign says Dean is the rightful heir to the guild? Yes. So, they say in the commentary that, um, Dean is the rightful heir, not Hank, because Dean is the second-born son, and the guild's all about doing, like, the opposite, like, um, oh, the first-born son is the hero, oh, well, we're the, we're the villain, so the second-born son is gonna be the sovereign, and that's why Dean is the heir to the, the heir to the sovereign, which I think is really funny. Um, Jackson also hints in the commentary that it's possible Jonas brought down Blue Morpho's plane to begin with. Um, Oh! Yeah, he's like, it's possible, um, but yeah, Doc also- It's possible! You're the writer! <laughs> yeah. Doc also says that, um, Doc says that the villain of the show is Jonas Venture Sr. on the commentaries. Like, yeah, the villain of the show is Jonas Venture. They never actually said, but I, it's always, you know, kind of been true. Um, they say it's a show about actual people, and actual people blow and do shitty things, but they love deeply, and that's what this show and this movie is about, and I love that very true that's that summarizes venture very perfectly i want to get into like i'm kind of i'm kind of wrapping up here because we've talked so much about this movie but i do want to get into um some of the stuff that's in this movie that has been floating around for literally forever um so the pants golem of 37th avenue is in this movie. yes yes that's in the original pitch book along with side all like you can read the original pitch book in the um venture brothers like art book and so they finally use the pants column of 7th Avenue in this movie. And he's like part of the Hank and um, the Dean and Orpheus stuff. So that was crazy to finally have that in the show. And also they finally pay off the fall of that bikini stuff. That is an idea that has been kicked around in the book and in um, the commentary since season three where um, in interviews too, where it's like, the original concept of that scene where Jonas has, like, his fucking, like, massive dick out in front of, like, little kid Rusty, um, the concept for that scene was that Rusty is gonna have a crush on an actress, and then Jonas would meet that actress, and, like, she'd be covered in blue paint, which we do see, we see her in blue paint in this movie, and, like, Jonas would come out of, like, a bedroom, like, covered in the blue paint after, like, fucking her, essentially, and that would be, like, a huge childhood trauma for Rusty, because he's had, like, this, you know, just, like, boyhood crush on this, like, actress, and Rusty was supposed to actually meet her in the Invisible Hand of Fate, but they cut that. They cut that idea. Um, so that was mentioned all the way back in season three. We've talked about Follow That Bikini. Um, we see a scene from Follow That Bikini in season six. Serena's watching it on her TV, and I remember because I on this rewatch because I kind of figured that um, 
that that and follow that bikini and um bobby saint simone were like kind of the same idea i kind of had those ideas circulating around but when i rewatched season six after like um after the casting announcement of jane lynch as bobby saint simone i was i saw that scene and i was like that can't be bobby because she sounds nothing like jane lynch but it is anyway which is cool um but yeah so there's just so much like I haven't rewatched much Adventures since this movie came out. I rewatched um Are You There God? It's Me Dean in season, for season from season 1 the other night. And Rusty says in that episode it could have fixed this in the prototype phase, which is obviously about um the it's about the um like the cloning, but I do think that now with the added subtext, it's also about the fact that he literally grew them from scratch, which I think is really cool. Um yeah. The something the movie also got to show us was Jefferson like lore and like yes. Jefferson actually doing stuff, which I feel like we never really got a full taste of in the show. Yes. And we find it feels so good to see Jefferson actually getting lore and like doing stuff because he's so fucking cool. Yes, <laughs> I love Jefferson so much. I'm so glad we got more Jefferson stuff. There's more triad in general. Like give me more triad give me more triad in general. But um so we do like the the final reveal is that um the monarch is a clone of Rusty um with like baboon DNA spliced in to counteract the hair loss, but it also made him more aggressive. And I do I wonder what you think about um how about I think when do you think they came up with that idea? Like when do you think they they not even the idea of them being clones, but the fact that they are definitely related in some way. When do you think they came up with that idea? I don't know because like I I have no idea if this was commentary or art book is where I heard this, but I I think at the commentaries they mentioned something about like when we were writing the, that these people, whether it's the monarch hates Rusty so much. They mentioned like, well, they obviously have a history together, and they're obviously linked in some way. So we got to figure out why why he hates him this much. Like, it's obviously yeah. linked on a very deeper level. But I think maybe that's where they started getting ideas. I don't know. <laughs> My so I have a very specific theory that they come up with that idea while developing season two because um, if you watch season one, the monarch's design is a little bit different. But by the time season two rolls around, he looks exactly like Rusty. And there's a shot I remember. I have very vivid memory of being like 15 and watching the show with my friends and like pausing it during like a shot in like the um, season two wedding at Cremation Creek when Rusty and monarch are standing right next to each other and they look literally exactly alike and i was like look they're the same like i so i think during season the development of season two is when they developed they're like okay we need to make them look exactly alike in case we want to do something with that later so i think that's when they really came up with it you know Uh oh i am alone in the zoom call hello welcome back my discord crashed so my bad true. you're good um but what i was like what i was um i don't know what you heard but um i think they came up with that idea to make them the same person in um within during season two because i think because like by the end of season two they look exactly alike and they keep that yeah um but yeah i think oh one thing they say in the commentary that i do not like and i know it's their show and they know it better than i ever will but they say that um so one of the questions they answer is is um if they kill a hank clone if a dean clone dies but hank doesn't 
and they they say the answer is depends on whether or not the the Hank saw the death. And they say that Brock has done it, which I don't like. I don't like that at all. I don't think I don't I don't like the idea that Brock has killed a Hank before. Yeah, that doesn't fit. Yeah, that I'm not a fan of that. I feel like that's something they just say, but I feel like if they ever like sat down to write that, they would have like, they would have been like, nah. I feel like they would they would have not put that in the show if they like ever wanted to write something like that. I don't I don't agree right. with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just going through my fucking notes here i do think i've oh yeah one of the season eight um running jokes was that helper is going to be a celebrity in japan because they did like a japanese helper show and they're living off apparently they're going to start living off of helper residual checks which is really funny um (laughs) i don't know if oh yeah also something that's really really cool um you know the the iced tea that she offers uh debbie offers um monarch and gary when they get to arch yes um, um, Bobby St. Simone makes the same iced tea for Hank. So she got the recipe from her mother. That's fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk. Oh my God. We've talked, we've, we've talked for almost like two hours. I want to wrap this up by like, by like five o'clock. Um, but there's so much to fucking talk about. We didn't even get into Ventronic like at all. Like the, the fucking Ventronic thing. Did you remember that? Like, do you, do you, did you remember Ventronic when this scene happened? Yes. But like. I, cause it was, it's in like JJ's family, right? Cause like Ned, the Ned's room, yes. like one of them is Ned's because it has like all like the, the kitty stuff in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, so Ventronic is in exactly one episode. It's in like the one where Monarch arches like JJ. And, um, I remember that what, like, is cause this is how much of a fucking obsessive freak I am about this show that when they show, when like, cause they get trapped in the tower and hate and like they, um, start kind of like swimming upwards through like the no gravity and hatred like lights a match and you see like a clown face for like half a second. And I was instantly like, Oh fuck. Cause I knew it was Ventronic. And also, <laughs> but so they have like, Ventronic has been inside Ventec Tower apparently like the entire time, which is fucking crazy. So they pilot Ventronic to um to like literally like gently land the tower on the side of the old venture compound and like Brock and Hunter help them with like the helicarrier. Fucking it's such a perfect venture callback because it's something that you never think that they like. It's if you gave me a million years to th- to be like, okay, what's the, what's the Deus Ex Machina of the climax of the Venture movie going to be? I don't think I'd ever come up with Ventronic, you know? Yeah. But the second that I saw that clown face, like that single frame of the clown face, I was like, oh fuck, that makes perfect sense. Like that's <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. It's so good. I love the Ventronic stuff so much. The theme is also so banger. It's also like. It's part of that venture tradition of taking something so lame and making it so cool because like the venture the real Ventronic episode is like the joke is how lame it is because it's fucking like it's JJ and Sally impossible. It's like the and like it's like the lamest characters, you know? Yeah. But then you have like our characters piloting it. It's like, "Oh fuck, yeah, let's go." But um yeah, it's just there's just so fucking much to talk about in this movie. Um, there is there is something we haven't brought up yet. Oh, what is it? Gary's weird porn. Yes, Gary's <laughs> weird porn, which they bring up so often. That I, I I really I have no idea what it could possibly be. A lot of people are I, saying it's still like softcore pictures of Sheila's face photoshopped on them. I don't know. That's what everyone's saying. I don't know. 
I I literally have no clue. They mentioned it on the commentaries at all. They don't Do you say, remember? If they say something, they just like joke about it. They don't they don't say anything that was worth writing down. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, they they And Gary and Gary's haircut. Because he has the shaved sides yes, now. I love, I love his haircut. It's so good. Um I just fucking love Gary so much. He's all like Gary, like Gary, Hank, and Dermot being your top three is such a good pick because like Gary and Hank especially are like the true heart of this fucking show. Like, Very true. They I are agree. they are my two favorite characters. Like I love Dermot. I don't know if I love Dermot more than like some of the other characters, but my top two are definitely Hank and Gary. So like great fucking choices. Every time, every time I rewatch Mama's Boys, the Hank, Gary, and Dermot episode from season five, I'm like, why the fuck isn't Dermot in season like season six and seven? Like, it makes me want that interaction so much. Mama's Boys means so much to me it's for that exact episode. reason. It's <laughs> such a good episode. It's like it's 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 like a it's a very low key like season five banger. Like, it's such a great. I love the, I, every vibe of the season is so specifically good, but that that season like. That stuff hits a little bit different for me because I just love all that um, Hank Hank and Dermot stuff in season five. Um, but yeah, so I can I can kind of start wrapping this up by kind of going on talking about more what like they wanted this movie to be about. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we start kind of like getting into like the um like the true like real final parts of like what they wanted to say with this movie? Not that I can think of, no. Um, Doc says in the commentary that the thing he's most proud of is that the fans feel like this is just for them, and I cannot say how much that is true for me, because this has been my favorite show since about, like, 2014, so, like, almost 10 years now. Like, I got into the show when I was a 13-year-old, and I am 23 now, so, like, I've literally grown up with this show. Like, I no piece of media ever has ever meant as much to me as the Venture Brothers has. Like... I fucking, like, I I have, I literally have the fucking bed sheets. Like, I spent, like, way too much money buying all the action figures. Like, I have the art book. Like, it's just, like, I fucking live and breathe the Venture Brothers. And I think, and it does, I do feel like I'm, like, one of the only, like, this show is made for people, like, they say in the book, too, this show is made for you, and it's made for you to feel like you're the only one that gets it, and I, that, I, that really resonates with me, because I see people, like, complaining that it's mid, or being like, oh, they don't, we don't resolve Scare Bear, or oh, this is mid, they, like, and I'm just like, you don't fucking get the Venture Brothers, like, I, I'm so glad the show, I mean, I'm glad the show is popular enough that all the Blu-rays are selling out, because I feel like that might lead to more venture. I'm glad that it has a very dedicated fan base, but I'm glad it's not, like, a huge fan base, because I don't, because I think if I had to deal with people that don't understand venture more than I already do, I'd have, like, a fucking aneurysm, you know? Yeah, specifically with, like, how common it is, how common it is to see, like, black and white thinking when it comes to, like, media literacy especially yes. like nowadays i think i would i would genuinely go insane if i saw some crazy ass takes about venture <laughs> i'm so glad that because like the thing about the venture brothers is that it's so special it's so special because like it's so special because everyone who like true who like loves it like really loves it and like gets it you know like yeah 
it's it's just it's just the best it's just the best like i really do think it is the best tv show like i've ever watched and like i watch so much fucking tv like i like right now there are currently 10 shows that i'm watching like new new episodes they air there's like fucking 10 more coming in august and like while i love all those shows deeply none of them are the venture brothers you know like it's in a it's in a league of its own it really is like it is it is truly something so special in like so many ways but um I do love, like, the last three kind of conversations that happen is, like, we already talked about um, Ben telling um, Ben telling Hank that, like, compl- the complications make it special. And then we do – Sheila comes to the house and um, the monarch is kind of distraught by the fact that he is literally rusty. And she says, um, you are the monarch. The Dr. Venture makes my skin crawl. And she, and she tells him that the, the monarch is now allowed to arch rusty – like when like fully because the guild can't interfere guild won't interfere with it anymore so like that is a good ending for that character and then um she's like she asks monarch like what do you want me to do and so i didn't notice this the first time i got it the second time she pants is rusty she pulls his fucking i was i was about to bring that up because i also noticed that on my second watch i was like oh (laughs) yeah i didn't get that i was like oh that's fucking hilarious she's the one who pants him but um Dean asks Rusty about his mom, and Rusty tells him, like, um, the person who gives birth to you loves you. I promise they do. And I think that's such a great ed- great little note to end on because, like, Rusty d- – Rust- I mean, like, Mantilla is their biological mom, and I do want to s- – I do want to see Debbie interact with them, you know? And I, w- I would love to kind of s- – I want Debbie to be, like, a huge part of the show going forward. I would love to see her, like, have a relationship with the boys. I want the boys to have that closure too, you know? Yeah, but I also I do, but Rusty is their mom. Like Rusty is their fucking mommy. I do love, I do love that note they ended on. But um, it's all they're all they're all like a weird fucked up family together. Like all these characters, like they're all just like a weird fucked up family. And I do think that um, and I do think that's the note they ended on, where it's like they're gonna like they're gonna be fine. You know, like Hank and Dean are gonna be fine. Rusty and Monarch are gonna be fine. Because also like. I don't like in the early seasons when the monarch tries or like thinks he's trying to actually kill Rusty, you know, because he right. they by the time they hit like season four, like oh he doesn't actually do that because um a big thing we also know is that like Brick Frog gets all these like you know tech and henchmen and immediately kills his arch enemy and kills like a bunch of people. The monarch gets that stuff and he doesn't want he's not going in there to kill Rusty. He says they're going in there to steal his new invention. That's what the monarch wants to do to fuck with him. He doesn't want to kill Rusty. I think it's perfect. But yes, they're all just like a weird fucked up family together. Um, I'm definitely- there is. Oh, I, I remembered something I want to bring up real quick. Uh, the like incubator, like the fake womb that Rusty has, it's in Dermot's room. Yes, it's in Dermot's room. So is like um, the helper walking eye. The orb is in there. Um, A Sphinx helmet is, is in his closet as too. Yeah, Sphinx helmet's in there. That's so fucking interesting. Um, do you think, what do you think, if they make more, do you think they're going to stay in Colorado and move the tower back to New York? They'll probably stay in Colorado. I I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know how much I like them staying in Colorado because, like, so much they spent, they did so much work to get everyone in the New York area just to undo it. You know? Yeah. I I honestly would prefer if they went back to New York because because like 
Monarch is in New York. Billy and White are in New York. Like fucking the Order of the Triads in New York. Like you moved, you moved everyone to New York. Just keep it in New York. But I don't know. Like if if it's a series finale, I'm fine with it going out on this note. But I don't know how much I love them being in Colorado again. Which also we do get a confirmation of it being in Colorado. Which like we already people already figured that out. But that is it is interesting and nice to actually get like full confirmation that it is in Colorado. That's what I thought, because, like, I couldn't remember if it was, like, fan speculation, because, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's in Colorado, I know this, but I'm like, I don't, I can't, like, source this anywhere. (laughs) It's it's fan speculation, but it is, they, it's, like, there's context, there's enough context clues for you to figure out it's Colorado. But, um, yeah, it's just, I, I, it is everything that I wanted it to be, you know? Like, this movie is everything I wanted it to be. I'm so excited to cover the first, like, seven seasons on this podcast eventually. I was kind of intimidated because, like, this is my favorite show, favorite piece of media in the world. It's like, how do I even talk about the Venture Brothers? I love it so much. But I think we really talk the shit out of this movie. I think it's great. You should You should try annotating the art book like I have. I probably will. Like, the thing about it is that, like... I'm in general, like, my brain in general is so fucking dumb because, like, the annotated art book is just, like, two-thirds of my brain, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, like, 90% of my brain storage is just, like, Venture Brothers lore. Like, that's that's how I know about, that's how I remember, like, Force Majeure and shit like that because I don't remember, like, you know, I don't remember how to, like, fucking um, figure out, get OBS to work because I remember fucking Force Majeure, you know? Like, that's... <laughs> That's, yeah <laughs> that's how fucking like i also think that when you get older you care less about tv shows so i don't think i'll ever care I don't, like this media this piece of media means so much to me because i grew up with it i don't think i'll ever care about a piece of media this much again you know like i'll definitely think about stuff because i fucking love tv but, like i don't think anything's gonna hit as hit as well for me as this show does you know yeah me neither but it's just it's fucking perfect we're unbelievably spoiled to get this, the Aqua Teen movie, and the Venture and the Metalocalypse movie coming in like a couple weeks. I'm so excited. I um, cannot express to you the excitement in my bones for this for for everything that's going to be happening on August 22nd because it's not only the movie. We're getting two album. new albums. Yeah, two new albums. <laughs> I pre-ordered the complete series. By the way, I don't know if I told you this or not. I pre-ordered the complete series. Yay! So whenever that comes in, I'll send you many pictures. But um, I'm excited to do. Do you want to do the metal movie on here? Yes, I I'm do. Excited to do this because, like, I feel like you and I both love both of these shows. But like, I know a little bit more about venture, and you know a little bit more about metal. So it's like it, it complements. You know, it complements perfectly. I'm so excited. Yes. I agree. <laughs> um, I'm so yeah. I'm so excited for the metal. I I do think Metalocalypse movie gets a lot of points for me for actually having it in like that cinematic aspect ratio, which I think is it's such a cool touch that like nobody else cares about. But I'm so I'm like fuck. This movie looks so cool just for doing that alone. You know, it's like the fact that like season one of Metalocalypse kind of looks like a slideshow most of the time, and now we're here where we're, this is like this cinematic, like beautiful, well animated, well lit, yes. like. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm watching season two right now and like taking notes on it. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just like, I love, it's still, I, it doesn't look bad. But I'm like, this looks so shitty compared to the movie right now. <laughs> yeah. 
when I, when I would go back and forth between like watching Metalocalypse and watching Venture, it's always like Whiplash. Yeah, because like Venture is so much more appealing to the eye. Sorry, Metalocalypse, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, I don't know what's coming up next on the podcast. I might do um, I have a couple ideas and guests lined up um for other episodes i definitely want to do the metalocalypse movie maybe the other metalocalypse seasons depending on if we have like time you know but um i don't know what's coming up next on the podcast but i i did figure out that what i i'm not paid by anybody so what i do is not scabbing so i can make more of this but i, I kind of t- kept the break going just because i wanted to enjoy the venture movie without like you know like trying to think about like how to make this a podcast you know which is kind of the reason why i didn't really talk about it until like now but i am very excited there's a lot of exciting stuff happening at adult swim you know coming up i'm really excited for them to finally fucking announce the rick and morty recast um fiona and cake not adult swim but it is adult swim adjacent that's coming out i'm really excited for that archer final season that that's crazy um futurama reboot currently airing futurama Futurama Disenchantment ends in the middle of the Futurama season. I'm really excited for that. Fucking so excited for Disenchantment to come back. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else to say about the Venture Brothers movie? Uh, 10 out of 10. I hope we desperately hope we get a season 8. <laughs> yeah, 10 out of 10. Fucking go buy it. Just go buy it, everybody. Get your free poster. Absolutely. Okay.